First, how has God blessed you this week? Anybody want to share anything that God might have blessed you this week? Sister Jones here, we're so glad. She seems like she's been gone for months and it's only been a few weeks. Sister Becky. What else? Um, Brother? Excellent. Sister Doris. Thank the Lord. Let's look at the next question. How have you blessed someone else this week? And I won't ask you to answer that, but it's just something to think about. We've all been blessed, but have we been a blessing to someone this week? Sister Joan, I want you to read the, we've got a story at the beginning of the lesson. Go ahead and read. What's right regardless? When new offices or shopping centers are built today, they can be instantly landscaped with bushes, rolls of sod, and even large trees. That's the wrong one. She's got it. That's okay. Page five. Somebody hand her the this week's. Share the blessings. Brian is the senior pastor of a large church in a major American city in the Northeast. He has been the senior pastor. For just a few years, the pulpit committee called him to this leadership position after he served the church as an associate pastor for more than a dozen years. Most people know that when a church goes through transitional changes in its leadership, there is often a period of time that is unsettling to some as they begin to adjust to the new leader's style. Brian was feeling these kinds of pressures when he became the senior pastor. When the church board realized that he could no longer make the large monthly payment on its renovated but rented commercial building space, they elected to downsize a bit and find a new location. The pastor led the church to see the new vision in a positive light. The church was excited and unified, but Brian wondered how they would pay off the debt on the renovations. On the Sunday after the announcement to move, Brian had a new announcement. A church family had sold their business the sale into the offering during the midweek service. Today he reported they were $1.7 million better off than last week. They not only paid the renovation debt, but put $1 million toward a new building vision. God's blessings are meant to be shared. If we keep giving them away, they keep providing for others. They only stop giving when a person decides to no longer pass them on. Okay. In this story, how did the willingness of one family... Was it used to bless a number of people and maybe even start something that would just continue on?
kind of began a whole new vision. Here they were looking at downsizing from one place to another and then having this horrendous debt. But now they're looking at they could actually pay off the debt and then a new vision towards a new building. See, that's what, when we are a blessing, that's, it doesn't just end at just us being a blessing. It goes out to those that are blessed, and then in return, we're blessed again by that. One of the, the greatest lessons in life <clears throat> that I, I think I have ever learned, and my father taught me this from a, a very young age, is the blessing of giving. And not so much how much it blesses the person that you give to, but how much it blesses you when you do it. And that's something that if, if, if a person doesn't know that blessing, it, you, can't, you can't explain it to them. It's, it's something that you have to experience to really see what it's all about. Has anyone ever been encouraged by someone sharing a blessing from God with you? Somebody coming and telling you about something that God has blessed them with. It doesn't have to be money, um, just maybe a simple thing that you've been blessed. Like in a testimony service, you might hear somebody stand and say, you know, this week God did this, this, and this for me. And you just become so blessed because you go, wow, that's just incredible. That's my God. See, the blessing that we give to somebody doesn't have to be a monetary thing. It, it seems that a lot of times that's the first thing that comes to our mind is when we talk about blessing somebody, we automatically start reaching for our pocket. And that's good, but that's not the only thing that we can be a blessing with. Encouraging words, prayer, a, a, a little simple card that we send to somebody in the mail. Those things can be a tremendous blessing to somebody, and we might not ever know it. Has anyone ever felt that you really didn't have anything to be thankful for? There really weren't any blessings that, that you could be thankful for. If we're honest, if we're honest, we'd have to say, yeah, there are times when I feel like I just don't have a whole lot to be thankful for. I really haven't been all that blessed. And we have to be careful... I'll speak for me. You, I won't speak for you. But we have to be careful when we do that because when we start down that path of feeling like God has not blessed us in any way, it becomes easy for us to miss out on the blessings that are there. We just don't see them. We start looking at everything in a kind of jaded point of view and we don't recognize the little blessings that are there just every day. Exactly right. That's a good point. Starting off our lesson, Jesus' ministry began in an area called Galilee. His, in fact, let's read Matthew four twenty three. I'm sorry, read Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was kind of his message that he was going around preaching. Um, he healed people. If you read through the, the next few verses, he was healing people. There was a lot of things that was going on in his, in his ministry. 
Um, but one of the things that I think Jesus felt like was a need to be addressed is what attitudes and actions were appropriate for those that were going to be becoming citizens of the kingdom of heaven that he talked about that was coming. You know, it's okay to teach the kingdom of God is coming. It's good to teach salvation. But if we don't teach what are the attitudes that we as Christians are supposed to have, then how do people know? And so Jesus took this next passage, several um, chapters actually, and he answered this question in what's referred to a lot of times as the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew chapter 5 through 7. His audience was primarily his disciples. But in addition to that, he had actually drawn quite a crowd. Go to Matthew 4, 24 and 25. News spread about him all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region beyond the Jordan followed him. It wasn't just the twelve and Jesus sitting around. It became sometimes described as multitudes of people, large crowds of people. And so all of these people have started gathering in to listen to Jesus. <clears throat> now, what he was talking about and what we're going to be talking about today was a very, very sharp contrast of the legalism of what some of the other people were teaching. You have to realize a lot of the, the Pharisees and the scribes they really coveted this external righteousness thing. <clears throat> it was all about, look at me, I look the part, I know how to pray, I know how to say all the right words, and I know how to do all the right things that when people look at me, they'll think I'm holy. But what Jesus was teaching to the people <clears throat> is that it's not enough just to have it on the outside. There needs to be some Christian attitude on the inside. Folks, that message hasn't changed. For us to clean up all on the outside and the inside still be the same, it doesn't matter. All that is, Je Jesus referred to that as whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. It just doesn't have any life in it. And there are a lot of people today that will, <clears throat> they'll criticize others because, just like the Pharisees did, because they don't look the part. They don't give like they give. They don't, <coughs> they don't know all the laws. And the Pharisees actually prided themselves on all of the technical aspects, but on the inside, there wasn't any compassion. There wasn't any love. And there wasn't anything that was an attitude that Jesus was trying to convey. <clears throat> so one day, here's this huge crowd. And Jesus walks up on the side of a mountain and he sits down. Now he sat down because it was a common practice and that was the way it kind of worked back then. That when a rabbi was teaching, he would sit and everybody would gather around <clears throat> And um, then he would teach as they sat around him. He began to teach about the blessings 
that followed those who blessed other people. And the blessings that came to those that were in the kingdom. And that's where we get this passage of Scripture that we're going to read today. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Now we're going to take these one at a time. We're not going to spend a lot of time on each one. But some of these blessings or beatitudes... Are, it's really obvious what he meant. I mean, it's just a, a, a obvious literal meaning. But there's, I think, some things in there that sometimes we don't think about as to what these Beatitudes can mean. Before we get started, there's a word. When Jesus used this word, all of these Beatitudes start with the word blessed. Now, or blessed. This word is translated from a Greek word pronounced Makabrioi. It's translated here as blessed, but it refers to basically a spiritual well-being of believers, an overall well-being, not just happy. It doesn't, you can't really insert the word happy is the man who does this. It's not just happy. It's this, this whole overall feeling of well-being. It even goes <clears throat> a little bit further. There's a, a Latin translation of a word, and it means bliss. This, this whole attitude of being at complete peace and joy. So a lot of times we read the, the Beatitudes, or I have, I've read it and I think, blessed be the man who does this. And I just think, well, then you'll be happy. It goes way beyond just this external happiness. It's a state of mind that puts us in a completion and a, 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 a place to where we have peace and joy and eternal bliss. So keeping that in mind... Let's start through these. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, poor in spirit, that's not a a terminology we use a lot today. I think what Jesus was referring to there today in that is a a spirit of humility. People that, that realize that basically they are bankrupt before God. Without God, I have absolutely nothing. My life is absolutely meaningless without God. So when a person can realize that, they can be blessed. If we have the attitude that that I am all self-sufficient and I have everything within me to do anything I need to do, how are we going to be blessed by God? Because basically we're saying we don't need you. But when we realize that our own goodness will never get us to heaven and it's our reliance in God, then this scripture seems to take on a different, whole different attitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we can get to the point where we lower ourselves in how we see ourselves and lift up God, then the kingdom of heaven is promised to us. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And a lot of times we, we, we look at this <clears throat> and it's in reference to when someone is going through something and they're, they're not happy, they're sad. And yeah, it could be that. But I think it's, it's more than that. It's, and 
if you were here last Sunday night, there was something that was said that just explained this so well. A lot of times the mourning is not over the loss of something or, or something that we're sad about. <clears throat> it could be someone who mourns over the life they've lived. Maybe it could be someone that mourns over that they didn't come to God sooner than what they did. Last Sunday night, Brother Wiley stood in and gave a testimony and thanked God for, for salvation. And, but he sat in there and it, tears came to his eyes as he said it. I just wish I would have done it a whole lot sooner. And as I was studying this week, that whole thing of blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted, I think there's some of that type of mourning that goes on in a sincere heart. In a person that says, I am so thankful for what God has given me, and I'm so thankful for salvation, I just really, I kind of mourn over the fact that I didn't do it earlier in my life. But blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's one that's kind of difficult sometimes. And, and, what we have to realize, some people look at meek as being somebody that walks around with an attitude of being beat down all the time. There's a difference in meek and wimpy. Right. It's not weak. Meekness is not weakness. <clears throat> we need to be meek, and that, that's an attitude of we stand before God empty-handed. We have really nothing that we can use within our own self to pay for salvation. We really don't have anything to give to God that He doesn't already have other than just our praise. God created everything by just speaking it into existence. So what would we think that we could come up with to give to God that really would mean much? other than one thing, and that's our praise. So if we start, it goes back to that, that attitude of meekness. <clears throat> and I believe as we, we live in a world around p other people that maybe aren't believers, that meekness will show through. The fact that maybe, maybe we don't always just, if, if, if I'm right, I'm going to get in your face and just tell you that I'm right until I die. Maybe backing down from that doesn't mean you're weak but there's a time when it's just not really worth it and there's a time when it just doesn't show the love of christ to be that way so meek it doesn't mean to to walk around and let people as brother um, ashley said to let people walk over you but it also if we are meek and we say that all of my ability comes through one source, and that's through Christ, then we're actually we're praising God through that in our meekness. And I believe that when we do that, then in turn we are blessed because we're giving God the glory for anything that does happen.
Exactly. Well, you could, but if you look at what Jesus went through without breaking, he was anything but weak. I mean, basically, he was meek in the fact that he didn't lash out, but he wasn't weak because he endured it. I mean, he went through the beating and the all of the, the torture that he went through, but he still didn't give in. Weakness would have be giving in and saying, hey, I've had enough. Let's just, you know, whatever you want. Or weakness would have been saying, you just don't know who I am. I'll just have you destroyed and call down angels and wipe everybody out. But I believe the meekness in that is, it's what you say. It is that fine line that we really have to be careful of because we can't, we don't want the world to think we're weak because we're Christians. That's probably the best example. There's times that it takes a very strong person to be meek and walk away from a fight. So there's, that's probably one of the best examples that you could have. That's, that's a good point. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When we seek God above everything else, when what we are living for is for God, and we hunger and thirst for the things that are righteous, God will fill us. We might not be the wealthiest person in the, in the city, but if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, God will fill us with those things that we really need. Blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. I think that's one of the ones that is just plain and simple. If we show mercy to others, we will be shown mercy from God. I think if there's anything that we want, it's for God to show mercy to us. I know I would not want God to give me what I deserve. And some of y'all would have to agree. Not about me, but about yourself. <clears throat> so if we're merciful, we'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will, see, they will see God. What's pure in heart? What would pure in heart be? I think it, it has to do a lot with self-examination of our walk with God. An honest... Sure. But it's hard sometimes to look at our life and our heart in a critical way ourselves, because we like to think that we're pretty good people. But I believe the one way that we can guarantee that we stay pure in heart is by, like David said, search me, O Lord, and see if there's any wicked thing in me. If there's something in me that shouldn't be, then just help me get rid of it. <clears throat> and I believe that will keep us pure in heart. And what's the, the promise of that? For they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. There are people that are peacemakers, and in any group of people, there are those that are always stirring something up. They'll go to this person, and they'll say, Something about what this person said about you. And then they'll go back to this person and say, well, this is what this person said about you. 
And they go back and forth. And the first thing you know, they have these two people hating each other. And you know what? That's the best thing you can do. Blessed are the peacemakers. Gossip will destroy family, church, business. It will tear down everything. And basically, that's the opposite of the peacemaker. The peacemaker is the person who wants everybody to get along. They work to try to see that people can get along. And instead of stirring things up between people, they look at ways of putting the relationships back together. And in verses 10 and 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, Now, we look at that, and we talked a little bit about this last week. We're not very often persecuted because of righteousness. There are people in the world that are, but here in the United States, we have freedom, and you can pretty much believe anything you want, and everybody's going to say whatever. So we're not really all that persecuted for standing up for what's right. Now, there have been times in the past that people were. Um, but this says that those that are persecuted, you're not the first one to ever be persecuted. He said, like, just like the prophets who were before you, there's others that have been per- persecuted. Don't count yourself all by yourself if somebody says something about you being a Christian. You're not the first person. And it says, talks about enduring. What's the worst that we are persecuted in today's society in the United States. It's probably somebody making a comment about our Christianity. Really, at that point, we have a choice to endure it and just let it go, or we can make a big deal out of it and just prove to them that we really aren't much of a Christian anyway. And that's where it all goes back to where all these kind of fit into place. The meekness thing. Somebody says something about us as a Christian, We can either be meek, walk away, or we can get back in their face, and then they'll go, you're no different than anybody else. What's the big deal? So we look through these different things, and Jesus was making a a list of things so that people could kind of say, well, this is how I'm supposed to live my life. It wasn't, notice, none of these things were about how a person looked. They were all about what was in here. It was all things that come from here and then they go out to those that are around you. But it wasn't just like go do this, 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 and this. Each one of them had a consequence. If you do this, then this is what will happen to you. If you do this, this is what will happen to you. And that's where the, that's what's called Beatitudes. Now, going on, Matthew 5, 
5 and 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, the reason I have this up here, we became familiar with this map a little bit over the last few months. Most of the salt, this was Jerusalem, most of the salt that the people of that day had came from this right here. This is the Dead Sea. If you notice, there's this river, which there's other rivers up here, but this was the Jordan River. The Jordan River ran into the Dead Sea. You know what ran out of the Dead Sea? Nothing. Nothing. The Dead Sea is way, way, way below sea level. Stuff only flows into it. Nothing flows out. So all of the stuff in the water, and you figure there's, there has to be a certain amount of this salt water and brackish water that came into these tributaries and made it, the Jordan River is kind of a brackish water river anyway. It's not just completely fresh. All of these minerals and stuff goes into the Dead Sea. So what they did is they could actually take the salt from the Dead Sea, and then there was a, a hill on the southwest corner, which would be over here, and they would actually mine it from the hill. And hence, we have the term working at the salt mine. They actually did mine it out of the ground. <clears throat> but if you look at it, you say, well, how can a salt lose its saltiness? I started reading about this this week. And you can go on and on and on. And there's people that actually have debates over whether salt can lose its saltiness. I never really thought people would take the time to do that, but I never thought I'd spend hours looking at what people thought about salt losing its saltiness. Basically, the water that came into here had a lot of minerals in it. The people would take the water, they would draw the salt out, but when they took all of the stuff together, it had a lot of other things in it. It wasn't refined salt. It had a lot of nasty stuff in it. So then they would take it from there, and they could actually dissolve the salt out of the rest of the minerals. What was left was worth nothing. It was just extra stuff. And I believe that's kind of what it was talking about it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. It's not so much that salt doesn't taste salty anymore. It's that when it gets so contaminated with other things, it's not just salt. And I believe that what Jesus was saying is when our lives get to a point to where there's so many other things in our lives other than living for God, it becomes useless. So at some point, all of the other things need to be pulled from that and separated out. Now, can a, to answer the other seemingly age-old question, can salt lose its saltiness? Some people say, yes, salt can lose its saltiness. That I didn't try to do an experiment to see. I, I understand that if it's, if it's left out like in salt mines or left open, the sunlight can actually leach the flavor of the salt out of it, and it won't be as salty. But I think really what's meant here is that being contaminated with foreign substances, when it's so full of other junk, then it's just not good for what it's intended to be. And that's where we need to be careful. Salt 
What is the purpose of salt? Salt is really to enhance something. Salt on its own is not a food source. Example, steak. You take a steak and you throw it on the grill, you put no salt on it. You take a bite and you realize immediately it's missing something. Right? Everybody with me so far? It's still a steak. Still tastes pretty good. But you take that same steak and put a little bit of salt on it and you take a bite of it, it tastes completely different. Now, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Boy, that's some good salt. No. Boy, that's a good steak. The difference, it's the same steak, but it had something on it to enhance the flavor. And I think in a world full of people that are not Christians, what Jesus meant for us to be was something that kind of enhances the flavor. We are the salt of the world. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? We are the thing that's going to change the way the world is. And what happens is when we, when we go out and we are a Christian, we don't get the glory for it. The way salt's used, right? Somebody, when we go out and do a great thing for the kingdom of God, we might not hear somebody say, wow, that person does an incredible work for God. Just like the person doesn't say, that's some incredible salt and the steak's not bad. Going on. And in just in case when the Bible was written that they knew I wouldn't make that clear this morning, they clarified it a little bit more. <clears throat> you are a light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now see, back then, a lot of the cities were built on these hillsides that were limestone. And when the sunlight hit these cities, it was just this bright white in the daytime. You couldn't miss it. You're a city on a hill. You can't hide it. It's out there for everybody. And then at night, that same city, the little lamps that they would have, the light would reflect, and you couldn't hide it at night either. And so that's what Jesus was saying. You are a city on a hill. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And he went one step further. And he said, and you don't take a lamp. And the lamp was just, it was a little clay pot that had a wick. And in the pot was usually olive oil. And the wick was um, either linen or flax that was kind of woven, put down in there, and it was lit. And you don't take a light and go to all that trouble to put something over top of it and cover it. And I think what Jesus was trying to get a point across the point is you're the salt of the earth, and if you're not, then who is? If you really are a Christian, you can't just hide because you're a city on a hill, and that can't be hidden. And besides that, to go one step further, you don't light something and then hide it under a bucket. Exactly, exactly. Let it shine. Going on to the next verse. 
In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Could have ended it right there. Go out and let your light, light shine before all men that they can see how great you are. But it goes on. And praise your Father in heaven. The salt is an enhancer. The ultimate glory doesn't go to the salt. It goes to the main source. We are just there so that people can see what really matters. The light, when you light a room, the light is not the most important thing. You light the room so that people can see what's in the room. And that's what Jesus was saying. You are the light. You are the salt. You are what enhances those other things. But I am the one that really matters. People will see me through what you do. Now, you say, well, what does that have to do with the first part? If people see God through what we do, then shouldn't what we do have some basis of Jesus' teaching? The Beatitudes were an outline of how to live our lives as Christians. And then we go a little bit further, and all of a sudden we see Jesus saying, now go live your life like that so that people can see who I really am. Exactly, exactly. We can be a negative influence as much as we can be positive. Now, I had something happen this week that was incredible. I shared a building with another business, and when he's out, I, I cover for him from time to time, and he covers for me when I'm not there. But it was one of his customers, Gary's customers, came in, and I'm sitting at the desk, and I'm doing whatever I had to do there, and my Bible, I'd been studying my Sunday school lesson. It was laying over there on, on the little coffee table. And so she and her husband walked over to my Bible, and they were looking at it. And she turned around me. I've never met these people before in my life. And she looks right at me and goes, Can I, can I give you a testimony? Sure. So I just laid down everything. She said, I've been diagnosed with malignant melanoma. Started on my back, and she went through how it had spread. She said, I went from all the different pain things all the way up to where she was on morphine with a morphine patch. She said, I became completely addicted to morphine. Her husband said that there was times when the patch would be gone, and she didn't realize it, and she would go into withdrawals from morphine. She was in a serious, serious state. And as she's telling me this, there's, there's tears starting to form up in her eyes. And she goes on, she said, my husband and I were, were in, were, they both worked together at the time, and we were in, our, in the office, and a man came in, and he asked us a few questions, and then he turned around, and he went to the door, and she said, and he stopped. 
And he turned around and said, is there someone here that needs prayer? And she said, I do. And she told him what was going on in his life. She said, right there in that office, they joined together and prayed. And by this time, the tears are flowing down her face. She said, it's been over a year, and I haven't had any morphine. And she told me a story of of some other people that had been in that same situation on the morphine and how they went through months of, of withdrawals and went on to methadone to try to get them off of that. Then they're hooked on methadone and just go through all of these months and months of stuff. And she said, it was instant. God took it away. She said, sometimes I still have a little bit of pain, but it's not like it was. I said, well, what do y'all do now? She said, we just got back from Romania. Really? She said, we're kind of missionaries. She said, my husband's ex-military. And she said, at some point, God spoke to us. She said, I'm not saying this is for everybody. But he spoke to us and told us to sell everything we had. And we sold everything we'd ever accumulated. She said, and we travel real light. She said, but we spend a lot of time in Romania just sharing the message of Jesus. And I'm like, wow, what a testimony. And she told me stories of people in Romania that they had a chance to, to witness to, people that, that were more of a, an orthodox-type Christian that really didn't believe that God really cared about them. And they've had the opportunity to tell this very story right here and to touch people's hearts and see people give their life to God because of a testimony. And as I studied this lesson, I thought, where did it start? It started when that guy started out the door and God spoke to him and he listened. It would have been just as easy, I don't know these people, go out the door, never see them again. Let your light shine before men. So they'll see your good works and your Father be glorified in heaven. Because when he turned back around and he prayed for her and she was healed, at that time, I'm sure she thought, what a great person he is. But he introduced her to somebody that was so much more magnificent. But it all started with one person person, being willing to let their light shine before men. And as I spoke to her, I told her, I said, my Sunday school lesson this week is on letting our light shine. I said, do you mind if I use your story? And she goes, no, I'll, that would be wonderful. And I said, it's, it's just amazing how you've taken what one person let their light shine to you, and then you've taken your light, and you've gone off to another place, and you've reached people that that person will never know. Jesus 
we find him commanding us to be salt and light. And as we sit here this morning, maybe you're asking yourself, well, what can I do? And honestly, I'm not going to get into that this morning. I know y'all thought I was going to go there, but I'm really not. But what can I do? Let me just leave it at this. There is something that you can do. There is a work for you that God has called you to. And again, I don't, I don't know what it is. And I'm sure that this lady never in her life pictured that she and her husband would be traveling around different places in the world as missionaries. But she said, and this is the key, I listened too. That man listened when God spoke to him, and it was only right that I listened when God spoke to me. William Barclay made a statement. Jesus did not say, you are the light of the church. He said, you are the light of the world. It's great to come to church. I think it's a commandment. I think God expects us to be at church. But this is not where we come to let our light shine. Out there is where our light needs to shine. Think about how desolate the world would be if all the grace that God has shown to us remained hoarded up within ourselves. We would become just like this right here. And you know what the name of this body of water is? The Dead Sea. Because that's where the place where everything runs into it, but nothing leaves. And because everything runs into it and nothing ever leaves out from there, not only is that sea dead, there's no fish. Is, there's no vegetation. There's nothing around it. It's, it's just dead. And if in our lives, if, only, if the only thing that ever happens in our lives is God pouring His blessings into us, and we are never a blessing to anyone else, we will die and dry up and there will be no life. And that's where this whole beatitude thing comes about, is blessed is the man who does this because he'll see this. It's not a one-way thing. It requires us, we receive, but we give. Listen to all the different things. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. You will be comforted. You will inherit the earth. You will be filled. You will be shown mercy. You will see God. You will be called the sons of God. And yours is the kingdom of heaven. Those are all promises. See, we get sometimes we get caught up in the, well, I have to do this, 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 and this. And I have to be meek. And I have to be kind. And I have to do all of these things. But it, it wasn't just a list of things. There was this giant list of things I just said. All the things we get back.
Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I know a lot of times we talk about giving and that money thing always pops up. And that's not necessarily what we're talking about this morning. But what the Scripture is trying to tell us We can choose to live in this world and accumulate everything we can accumulate in this world or we can live in this world and accumulate everything we can accumulate where it really matters. Because the writer said that down here, moth and rust, thieves, it'll break, wear out, rot, get stolen. But the stuff we put up there, it's forever. Now, does that mean it's bad to accumulate things here on earth? No, I'm not saying that at all. God bless you. If you become a multi-bazillionaire, that's wonderful. I think that's fantastic. I think where the bad part of that is, if we forget about that part while we're accumulating the things down here. If you become a multi-bazillionaire on earth, then I hope you become a multi-gazillionaire in heaven. That's what it's about. Don't make it all about down here. Make sure that we balance it out with storing up things where it really matters. And he's given a lot of money. And, and that's that, to me, that's an incredible person that can amass you know, be the wealthiest man in the world and just give millions and millions and millions of dollars away to try to help people. That's incredible. But there are people that have just a little bit and they won't share it with anybody because it's just about me. So I ask you this. What are we here for? Why did God place us on this earth? He didn't place us here to see how much we could accumulate. He placed us here to be a light and be salt. We'll be blessed if we're a blessing. We will be blessed if we're a blessing. The Beatitudes, one of them says that blessed is the the one who shows mercy for he'll be shown mercy. It's so easy, and I'm going to close. It's so easy for us, sometimes we get caught up 
in the things of the world. We get busy with work. We get busy with the family. We can even get busy with the things going on in church that aren't necessarily the spiritual things. And because we're busy doing all those things, we think everything's just fine. But what really matters, the bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toy wins, most toys wins, it's not true. It's he who places the most where it matters is the one that wins. And we're so driven in a society that is so prosperous to just be more and more prosperous. And if we're not careful, we start thinking that those are the things that really matter. The things of this world. There's a song, an old song that we sing. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will go, grow strangely dim in the light of his wonder and grace. Amen. When we focus on the things that matter, Is my heart right with God? Do I treat others the way that God wants me to treat them? And we focus on those things. All of these things here on earth, you might amass great fortunes. They just won't mean as much. Because you can't take it with you. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And praise your Father in heaven. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother David. Shall we stand together? <clears throat> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm in your delighted for the word of the Lord. Beautiful lesson this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's take a few moments and greet one another, and then come back into the sanctuary for a time of worship and celebration as we lift up the name of the Lord. It's so good to have each of you here today. God bless you.